I always pray at the beginning of a sermon because I need God's help, right? I always pray, and I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, and open our hearts to know and love you better. May we hear not my words, but yours. In the name of the one who is with us right now, amen. So it seems like a lifetime ago that I led a retreat for single adults with the same title as today's message, Peace in the Puzzle. What I remember of that retreat is not a whole lot. Um, I remember that the focus was on making sure that each of us individually had confessed our sins and repented and asked forgiveness and received it. The whole point was to be okay and trust God with being single. That was a long time ago. And quite honestly, I had forgotten entirely about that retreat. Um, when I was considering the title for the message today, and I, and I kind of blurted it out at Pastor Steve after church last week when he was asking what he should put on the bulletin, I was like, oh, piece in the puzzle. It just kind of flew out, and I didn't have any memory of, oh, I've preached something like that before. Didn't even cross my mind. But as I went about preparing for this this week, um, I found myself wondering how different my message would be today than it was all those years ago. Don't get me wrong. It's, in, it's important and it's true to know that peace with God involves confession, involves repentance, needs asking for forgiveness and needs receiving forgiveness. Knowing that peace with God requires all of that, that is absolutely true. Last week, our church leaders asked us some really specific, important questions um, intended to help us as a body here at Edgewater to prayerfully consider who we are and to what God is calling us now. This will all connect shortly, I promise. If you look real quick across the back wall there, you'll see some big old poster paper with lots of post-it notes all over it. Um, we shared kind of some of what we wrote on those papers last week, briefly. We shared some of our initial responses to the questions, what are our strengths? What are the opportunities that we have? What are our aspirations or our hopes for our church? And how will we rejoice when the results come in? We shared that, and it was just a brief sharing, right? We just kind of quickly, I know what I remember. <laughs> Two things stood out. One, I remember somebody wants an aviary. Um, that was one of their aspirations for our church, which I think is awesome. But one of the things that struck me was how many of the different groups mentioned the word homelessness. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. There's a common thread across our, our church with a heart for homelessness. I thought, huh? I don't know that we knew that about ourselves before, that we share that passion. It was amazing to hear that, and, and we're continuing with that. The reason the papers are up there is so that you can, over the next couple of weeks, right, Cindy, continue to add your thoughts and your responses to the questions of what are our strengths individually as people in our church and what are the strengths of our church what are our hopes or aspirations for our church? What do we hope to be? Who do we hope to be? 
what are, I totally, oh, what are the opportunities that present themselves to us, and how will we rejoice in seeing those things come to fruition? So if you don't have post-it notes, I think you can probably just write in the squares. It's fine, that's totally acceptable, but, but that's back there, and that's part of something that we're doing as a church. We have been around for a while. There was a, there was a clear vision when we started, that vision hasn't changed in terms of being a community that loves God, loves people, and serves our community. But we as a body are made up now of different people who were here 13 years ago. Different strengths, different gifts, different talents, different passions. And so we together as a body want to, to investigate and prayerfully consider, okay, so God, right now with who we are, how do we live into our communal identity right now in Pittsburgh? So that's what's happening with those. Which lent itself really well to that title, Piece in the Puzzle. Because we're puzzling through some things, right? We've got pieces, strengths, gifts, talents, opportunities, hopes, aspirations, and we're trying to figure out how they all fit together. So as I listened to all of our responses and held those in connection with my title, um, I began to, I'm sorry, I'm using my really cool thing, but it's not responding. There we go. Um, I got to, kind of stuck on, what do I hope for my church? I was talking with Ray and Rebecca this morning about hopes that I've had for our church in the past. Um, And some of those have come to fruition, some of them have not. And there's disappointment and there's joy in that, right? Um... But I got to thinking, what do, I, what do I dream? What do I hope for our church now? And I came back to actually that really cheesy title, Peace in the Puzzle. I think that that title, Peace in the Puzzle, is missing a word. In fact, I think it's missing two. It's missing an action word. It's missing a verb. Peace in the Puzzle is a thing. But what's the action that goes with it? And I think there are two. I think, first of all, that we are called and created and commanded to have peace in the puzzle. To receive what Jesus offers to his disciples when he first greets them after he's been raised from from the grave. He says, peace I give to you. We are meant to receive peace, to receive connection, to receive the lack of war and conflict. We are meant to have that, to hold it, to receive it as a gift. But I think there's more. I think in addition to having peace, I think we are called to be peace in the puzzle. There's a, a poem that I loved as a kid. I'm totally, I'm hearing, I'm hearing my seminary training days going, three points and a poem. That's what you should have in your sermon. <laughs> I'm not doing three points, but I do have a poem. Um, when I was a little girl, I remember one of my favorite poems ever, and I still love it, is one by Shel Silverstein called A Picture Puzzle Piece. And he says, one picture puzzle piece lying on the sidewalk, one picture puzzle piece soaking in the rain, It might be the button of a blue on the coat of the woman who lived in the shoe. 
It might be a magical bean or a fold in the red velvet robe of a queen. It might be the one little bite of the apple her stepmother gave to Snow White. It might be the rest. Oh, it might, it might be the veil of a bride or a bottle with some evil genie inside. It might be a small tuft of hair on the big bouncy belly of Bobo the bear. It might be a bit of the cloak of the Witch of the West as she melted to smoke. It might be the shadowy trace of a tear that runs down an angel's face. Nothing has more possibilities than one old wet picture puzzle piece. Sisters and brothers, it is an easy message to talk about the fact that every one of us fits precisely where we are meant to in God's puzzle. So whether you are that bit of a shoe, or no, I guess it was a bit of a button on the lady who lived in the shoe, or a bit of a veil, or a bit of a bottle, whatever your bit, did I give my piece back? No. Whatever your bit, you have a specific shape. And your specific shape fits somewhere specifically in God's puzzle. Some of us, I think mine has an edge piece, help to define the, the edges, right? The boundaries of what we look like. All of us have parts that connect to other pieces. Alone, we could be anything. Together, we are God's body. Amen. Right? That's cool. Like, that's enough right there. Turn the page! Skip the page. The questions along the back wall are about identifying your shape and identifying our whole puzzle. And like I said, Beverly is going to take these home this week. Sorry, Beverly, I forgot to tell you beforehand. Um, Beverly is, for those of you who, who missed this at the beginning, Beverly does puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, all the time, and they're amazing. And she works her way through all the edge pieces, through all the pieces that look the same, like with the grass or the sky, right? Or, or the sea, those are hard because it's all blue everywhere. You gotta put it all together. You gotta find where they go. Beverly's gonna take it home, put it together, we'll have our own little kind of puzzle reminder that we are God's body here in, in Edgewater. Um, but I want... I want to focus more on that other question. How do we be peace in the puzzle? What am I, what am I even talking about? How do we as a body be peace? All of the world, and even in our own nation, like I said before, in institutions, in churches, in communities, all across our nation and around the world. The world is chaos. It's a puzzle. It's messy. How do we be peace in that mess? As I was thinking about that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's a huge question. And it feels like a huge task. And then, I, and then I got a little despairing, and I said, God, what is the good news? Because that's our job as, as preachers, is to speak the good news. What is the good news for Edgewater in this? And God sent me to a story. 
in the Bible. Kenya, get ready. This is you. Um, because I think what God wanted us to hear is that for us to be peace in our world, we need to look at Jesus. So we're going to do kind of a little mini Bible study right now. Kenya is going to read our passage, and I want us to listen with two specific, kind of two specific lenses in our ears, if that makes sense. Listen for things that point to brokenness or chaos or separation or, or not peace. And then listen for things that point to peace, to restoration, to healing, to forgiveness, to wholeness. I'm going to take my little pen and write notes while Kenya reads. Pull it down. There's always an adjustment when I'm going to a mic. I'm so used to being in the back, looking away, so it's kind of weird. You're great. Being in the front. Thanks for being in the front, Kenya. <laughs> okay, so I'm reading um, John 8, verses 2 through 11. NIV version. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he strained up and said to them, Let any of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with a woman standing there. Jesus strained up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Sorry, I'm still taking notes. Thank you, Kenya. Thank you, thank you. So, what did you notice? What struck you about either peace or not peace? If you wanted to look up that that reference while we're doing this, it's John 8, verses 2 through 11. What did you notice? The Lord's grace. Lord's grace. Tell me more. Well, the, the fact is she was a sin. I mean, she was a sin, and you would think, well, this is 
Okay? The law said she should be stoned because she did sin. And Jesus said, okay, go. What? And what else did you notice? That the oldest left first. The oldest left first. Some wisdom there. Some wisdom there, right? Ezra, you had your hand up? Oh, just uh, that the Pharisees, their posture started off with uh, non-peace. Their posture was very non-peaceful. Yeah. Although they probably might have... No, they, well, I don't know. It said that they were trying to trap Jesus, right? I, I found that really fascinating. These men, and they were men, who were leaders, shepherds, basically pastors of their people, brought this woman to a crowded place, stood her in front of everybody, and pointed out her sin. Look what she did. And she should die. What do you think, Jesus? Because you know that's the law and you say that you're God's son. They weren't coming in peace. Although, from another perspective, they might be thinking that getting rid of Jesus restores their peace mm -hmm. for their sense of order. It would restore their sense of order. Perhaps. Other thoughts? I noticed that they brought the woman Mm -hmm. Yep. They brought the woman, not the man. It takes two to commit adultery. Where was he? What else do you notice? Jesus never condemned her. Jesus never condemned her. No. He didn't. He didn't even address her sin. He didn't talk to her about it at all. Except to say, except to say, leave that life. What else do you notice? He was very quiet. Right? He, he bent down and did some art, some sand art in the ground, drawing with his finger. Or wrote their names down. Or maybe he wrote their names. We have no idea what he drew. We just know that he gave space. And a lot of times, I don't know if, if, if this rings true with you, but I find that as conflict is growing, it gets faster and faster. Right? And things kind of build and everybody gets angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And Jesus says, okay, stop. Breathe. Do some art. That's what I like to hear him say. Because I like art. Just from the, you know, Beverly's response, uh, because the whole this left for mm -hmm. the consideration that they had more sin because they lived longer than they had to. Perhaps they had more sin to process through. What about that question that Jesus asks? Does he call them out on bringing her up in front and shaming her? I wish he had. I'll be honest. This passage makes me mad. I get angry that they pull her up front and they, they, they bring her to the front of the church where Jesus is teaching. And everybody there hears them say, dude, this is what she did. She's a sinner. Shame on her. And Jesus doesn't say, you know what, shut up. 
He doesn't say that. He physically shuts everybody up. And he asks that question. What is he, well, basically, he doesn't even ask a question. He says, if you have no sin, go ahead. You first, buddy. Sorry, I get a little about that. Kenya, you had a hand up. Yeah, Jesus takes every situation or can and diffuses it. He refu- and like you say, he refuses to let himself get thrown under the bus. And he refuses to let the woman get thrown under the bus. I also was struck, um, this is scary to admit this, I was struck by how often I want to behave like one of those Pharisees. I see somebody doing something or wearing something or saying something or eating something or drinking something that I think is sinful. And I want God to tell them to get it right. That is not my place. Who am I? If Jesus is not going to shame somebody for their sin, who am I? Who am I to shame somebody? No. That struck me with this. I think culturally, I see a lot of people bashing their heads together. One person says something rude, someone else is outraged and they say something rude back, so they're basically fighting with the same ammo. Jesus really shows a path that like, he has a totally different way that you wouldn't naturally expect, because mostly because of the pacing. The Pharisees are trying to rush him, and mm-hmm. he's slowing him down. He's like, I don't have to play by your rules. Right. I'm going to set it at this pace, and we're going to slow down. And I find in my life, Often, it's the enemy who's rushing me mm. or showing me a shortcut. Whereas God is like, be patient. Let's slow down. I think that's a really good point. Um, the enemy is the one who divides, right? The, end of, the enemy is the one who shames and, con- and, and not conquers. <laughs> so, so my brain really, I'm having a very... Divides, tears apart, wants to destroy, and he wants to do it fast so there's no time to think. Jesus takes his time. What else? Anything else? He measured his words, and what also struck me with that, yeah, exactly. What also struck me is that in 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 giving the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that space, he challenged them, but he didn't push. He he un, he somehow trusted, and I, and I, I wonder at this. He trusted that they would think through that question and be honest with themselves. And I wonder how honest I would be with myself if I were in that situation. At the moment that we choose to judge, mm-hmm. how looking at our own situation, right. in addition 
How honest am I about being, and how willing am I to be able to look at, I want this person to know their sin and be changed and whatever, but can I be honest about that? You know, we talk about having peace. I only have peace because Jesus has forgiven me. I have received that. And do I forget that when I want to try and bring somebody else to Jesus? Am I bringing somebody to Jesus really because I truly want them to be saved? And am I aware of the fact that I actually have to be saved myself? Peace is hard. It's hard work. Right? It's not, it's not easy. It's not a lullaby. And there's mercies every morning. I think, as I've been praying over the past couple of years for Edgewater, I think God has called us to be peacemakers where we live. And I say that knowing it's not an easy thing that faces us. I say that knowing that it means letting go of what I think I know is right. I say that knowing it means giving space for uncomfortable conversations and questions. I say that knowing it means not forcing somebody to come to the, re- the response that I want them to. Jesus didn't force any of those people to understand their own sin. He only asked them to look at it. I say we are meant to be peace worker, peacemakers knowing that there are, we, are, we have some diametrical opposition in our viewpoints and worldviews, politics, all of that. Even in, within our own body, we have very, very differing opinions. I believe we as a church are called to enter into those conversations with grace. I believe we are called to have this space be a place where people come, not because we're trying to throw them in front of Jesus for shame, but because we genuinely all together understand that wholeness takes the body, welcoming people in. I noticed, too, that um, Jesus was there with all the people. He was teaching all the people. Then come all the leaders and this woman. Everybody's there. It wasn't, it wasn't just the, the, the leaders who got the question who left. Did you notice that? Everybody in that room left. Whether they were involved in the conflict or not, they heard the question. And in the end, it was just Jesus and the woman. And then that question, which always gets me, does anybody condemn you? Well, no, they're all gone. And how huge is it that Jesus makes the statement, well, if nobody else is going to condemn you, neither am I. Go and live in peace, right? Leave the life that separates you and destroys you and live in wholeness. That's our call, I think. I could be wrong. Who knows? But this is what I've been hearing. 
Will we at Edgewater be peace in the puzzle that is our community? Will we set aside our petty arguments, sweeping generalizations? Will we offer hope instead of shame? Will we create space for really hard conversations? And will we welcome in everybody without condemnation? Because we know and we remember our own forgiveness. Will we build up? Will we connect and will we include? Because if we will do those things, we will be following Jesus. Jesus said it himself. He said, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the children of God. Will we at Edgewater be a peacemaking community? Will we do the hard work and be called children of God? Sisters and brothers, as you live the days of this week, pay attention to where there is no peace. For you, for those around you, look to Jesus and follow his lead so that you, so that we may have peace and be peacemakers in the puzzle that is this world. Be peacemakers, for you are children of God. Amen. Oh, and I have a puzzle piece for you to take home so you can remember. That's all. <laughs>